I think individual deals on crowdfunding platforms all have individual sponsors. So, of course, so much of your experience in the deal isn't going to be with the platform itself as much as it's going to be with that sponsor. And so, you know, you need that track record. You need to know that they've had experience not just with realized deals, but with realized deals in a particular sector, in a particular location, that sort of thing. So there's kind of a lot to look at, I think, in the beginning aspect of things. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Deidre Woolard from The Motley Fool. And today we're talking about a few strategies to invest in real estate, one in particular that we haven't addressed on the show in the past, which is REITs. She is a writer for The Motley Fool, writes about real estate and specifically talks about REITs and real estate crowdfunding. And today we're digging into publicly traded REITs, private REITs, real estate crowdfunding, different platforms that are out there and a bunch more. And I say this in the context of the interview, but I'm gonna say it here too, that The Motley Fool really helped me get started as, a, as an investor in general. Once I graduated from college, got a job, and I finally you know, had two nickels to rub together and that didn't turn it into any more, right? I needed to find a way to turn that into more money. The Motley Fool was one of the places that I went to to learn about investing in general. And you know, while my strategy has shifted away from publicly traded, you know, stocks and so forth that they normally you know, discuss generally at the Motley Fool, they did help me get started in recognizing value and learning how to invest and 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 make more money. So I certainly appreciate the role that they played in getting me started. And I appreciate that they're helping people invest in real estate now as they've added this wing of their business to talk about real estate and crowdfunding and, and all the different strategies. So great to have Deidre on the show to talk about these various topics. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I say this every time and I mean it every single time. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, do look us up and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Deidre Woolard. Without any further ado, here we go. Deidre, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do and you know the business that uh, you're involved in? I'm at The Motley Fool. I'm a real estate writer and analyst. I've written about real estate for about 20 years, starting originally uh, with America Online way back in the day, writing about celebrity real estate. Also worked at a couple of brokerages in Los Angeles, doing marketing and celebrity real estate PR and all sorts of things like that. I've been at The Motley Fool for several years when they launched uh, Million Acres and Mogul, the real estate investing service. And so just been continuing to learn about real estate and real estate crowdfunding. And right now I'm writing a book on real estate crowdfunding. Awesome. Great. And I want to thank you for for joining us here and also just acknowledge that, you know, we were talking about this before we recorded that, that 
The Motley Fool played a, a part, a, a role in my becoming an investor in general. When I first graduated from college, I had a job. I finally had two nickels to rub together. And I thought, how do I turn this into more? I was a big time Motley Fool listener. And, you know, things have changed. My strategies evolved since then to, you know, suit my, my current goals. But, you know, I want to make sure to give that shout out and, and, you know, express my gratitude for, you know, your company's role in, in getting me started. And, you know, today we're going to talk about a few different areas of, of real estate crowdfunding and, and REITs and things like that. So where do we want to kick it off? And we don't really talk about REITs on the show uh, that much. This, I think this will probably be the first episode where we discuss REITs in general. So can you give us an intro to, you know, the, the basic structure of a REIT and, you know, thoughts on, on, on them? Well, I, th I think REITs are a great way to kind of dip your toe into real estate. If you're, uh, maybe you haven't bought a house yet, or you're not even thinking about that, you don't have a lot of money. It's a good way to sort of start thinking about real estate. So REITs, uh, publicly traded REITs, they're, they're just like stocks, except that they have to pay out 90% of their income. So they give out, they have issued dividends on a consistent basis. So that's one of the things to, to keep in mind with REITs. And one of the reasons that people like them for retirement is because they're, they're paying out over time and REITs hold all kinds of real estate. You know, there's, there's industrial REITs, there's office REITs, there's a hospitality REITs, retail REITs. It's pretty much any, anything you can think of. So it's just, it's an interesting sector of, of the public stock market. Yeah. And they, that the 75, 75, 90 rule for REITs is, is pretty unique that I think a lot of people might not know about that they have to have, I think, 75% of their income generated from real estate or mortgages, 75% of their assets invested in real estate, and 90% of their net income has to be distributed to shareholders. And that's that's pretty rare for a publicly traded type of security. Well, and they were really created uh, during the 60s to sign, basically to give public investors more access to commercial real estate because for so long, commercial real estate was really how, how the wealthy made money. And, you know, I you put together REITs and crowdfunding, you you see these two things that really changed, uh, sort of opened up that door because so much of commercial real estate, they always talk about like the country club deals and things like that. But that really was how large investments were done for, you know, decades, years. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned crowdfunding, which we're also going to uh, discuss today. But before we move on to that, I wanted to bring up, um, and I don't know how much this, you know, factors into what you generally talk about, but public versus private REITs. I mean, public REITs are, are probably more common people are aware of, but there are private REITs out there. Frankly, I'm not that knowledgeable on those in particular, and I'm not that knowledgeable on how they differ from what you might consider a, a crowdfunding. You think we could uh, dip into that a little bit and you know, distinction between public and, and private REITs? Yeah, it does get a little confusing because uh, some of the crowdfunding platforms actually have REITs within their structure. So uh, like Realty Mogul, uh, Fundrise, they have REITs within their structure and those are private REITs. There are also other companies that offer private REITs that sort of function like uh, just kind of like an investment fund. And so, you know, they, but the difference between a publicly traded REIT and a private REIT, of course, is pricing. So if it's a publicly traded REIT, it's on the stock market, it's, it's trading the way you would normally expect. And then for, for private REITs that, you know, that, that isn't a fact. It's not being determined by what the market is doing that day. Mm, so liquidity in, in general is kind of a detailed topic that, you know, requires a lot of discussion, but in a, in a private read, I, I mean, 
I invest in syndications, which are illiquid and, you know, restricted securities and all of that. But a private read in particular, I, I don't know like what the the potential exit options might be. I mean, who, who do you sell it to when you want to sell? How does it, how does it exit? How does it pay out at the end? I mean, I don't know. So keep it, going. It, it depends. It depends on the REIT and, and the platform. Some of them you have to hold for a certain amount of time and then you can exit. Some of them have, you know, a secondary market built built in. It really depends. And that's one of the things to to keep in mind, you know, when you're getting into anything is is look into that. Because if you've got public REITs, yeah, you can you can buy and sell in in the same day. Wouldn't recommend it, but you can do it. <laughs> you know, and if you're if you're dealing with private things, then then the rules are generally different and and set by that individual platform. Mm, okay, okay, and that that pricing, I think, is uh, you know, I'll be I suppose frank about my concerns about publicly traded REITs is that they the the liquidity also can lead to volatility because people are more able to kind of do the panic sell hit the button and if you look at if you look back at what happened right at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic that there was a lot of that that panic selling which to me is a a disadvantage of the more liquid securities sure absolutely yeah during the beginning of the pandemic yeah bad bad times for reits Last year, great year for REITs. They were up over uh, 40% publicly traded REITs, uh, varied by sector, but, you know, very, very strong year, partly because they were bouncing back. And, you know, as as we're taping this right now, the stock market is not having a great January. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> it, has, it has been rough. And, yeah, REITs aren't getting hammered the way tech stocks are, but they're they're being dragged down and you know un- unfairly because they're they're great companies. There's not something that's happening internally within the companies. It's they're just kind of being victims of that market volatility that we're seeing kind of all everywhere. Absolutely, rates changing and the Federal Reserve kind of making a different announcement every day. That. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now I would reading into it or reading into, you know, the Motley Fool's decision to start uh million acres of him getting it right. And then, you know, start talking more about real estate. I would presume it came out of more interest from investors. They want to hear more about real estate investing, especially when it comes to more passive options like like REITs and crowdfunding. And that's where they get started. I mean, is that is that true? Is that why they started it, brought you on board and, and got this all going? I mean, let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. There are a couple of very smart fools uh, inside the organization. Uh, I know we all we all call each other fools. It's, it sounds so weird, but uh, Matt Argersinger and Austin Smith, who are both real estate investors on their own and uh, and longtime uh, Motley Fool employees, got together and kind of were sort of telling the rest of the team like, "Hey, real estate is is you know is a really interesting thing that we need to be able to offer our members." and Really, uh, it was part of that idea of being able to offer people something a little bit outside the stock market by, you know, talking more about real estate crowdfunding and uh, the service mogul specifically recommends things that are on crowdfunding platforms and also does some uh, direct to sponsor deals. Mm, okay. Okay. So those crowdfunding platforms that we have a few of them as, you know, affiliate partners here on this show and, you know, their names will not be mentioned by me right now. That's, I'm not going to put a plug in, but, you know, can you tell us about your experience there and in looking into them and, you know, what the Motley Fool, you know, can provide as far as, you know, the thought leadership goes uh, about, you know, crowdfunding platforms or, or opportunities? Yeah. So we we published reviews on most of the major platforms, looking at things like communication, 
how easily you can get in and out, what the leadership is like, where, where the fees come from, things like that. So all of that is really important with, with crowdfunding deals is to kind of know what you're getting into ahead of time. And I think that's, that's one of the things that makes it a, a little bit trickier because the rules really are different from platform to platform. The fees are different from platform to platform. So they're not, they're not all equal. I think the other thing is how, how picky they are too. I think you want a platform where, you know, they're not throwing tons of deals at you. There's, there's some selection that happens on the back end. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious about this, whether you get any blowback from the platforms, if you give like a, a particularly negative review, this is not exactly related, but I have a self-directed IRA and I participate on bigger pockets. And at one point I said, I have my self-directed IRA with this trust company and I don't like the service that I'm receiving. And wouldn't you know, they reached out to me with, you know, complaints about my uh, negative review posted publicly. <laughs> and you have a much bigger platform than, you know, my piddly little post on a bigger pockets, uh, you know, forum thread. Do you ever get that, that blowback or, you know, do they, you know, want constructive uh, feedback? What's been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. When we published those reviews, uh, there was definitely some feedback about why we rated things certain ways. And of course, it was all, you know, it's all transparent. It's all on the page. So there wasn't, you know, we're not going to change something just because somebody doesn't like it. But if <laughs> we can show that we, you know, that we have a reason for rating it that way. But uh, yeah, and the same thing is true on on Mogul because we score individual individual crowdfunding deals that that are recommended and and those all have scores too. So there is there's been some you know there's been some concerns about why is why is this one rated and that one isn't rated. But it's really up to the discretion of the people that are doing that rating and are and are trained in that. Mm, okay, so I mean uh, you've mentioned a few things like uh, communication is important. I mean, of course, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I suppose, you know, newer investors to the space might just expect that, oh, they're, they're on this platform. They should be, you know, pretty well vetted and, you know, I shouldn't have much to worry about, but, you know, from what you're saying, that's sounds like it's not, not always, uh, the case. I think individual deals on crowdfunding platforms all have individual sponsors. So of course, so much of your experience through the deal isn't going to be with the platform itself as much as it's going to be with that sponsor. And so, you know, you need that track record. You need to know that they've had experience, not just with realized deals, but with realized deals in a particular sector, in a particular location, that sort of thing. So there's kind of a lot to look at, I think, in the beginning aspect of things. Okay. Okay. And we were uh, talking about this before we recorded as well. I mean, we do syndications and in my business and I invest in syndications. And one of the, if you will, downsides of a syndication investment is typically it's got a fairly high minimum, 50 or a hundred thousand dollars, you know, depending on the, the deal and all of that. Whereas REITs are, you know, publicly traded, you buy one share, you know, it'd, it'd be pretty cheap or, yeah. you know, crowdfunding. What do you see there as far as, you know, minimum investments go? I imagine it's a pretty wide range. Very wide range, all the way down to $10. I mean, with, you can get into either Fundrise or Ground Floor, I believe with, with starting with $10. I mean, $10 isn't going <laughs> to, you know, it's not going to do much for your overall returns, but, but you can get started pretty low. Uh, some of the others have 
you know, three, four, five thousand dollar minimums. So you can get in at a at a pretty low rate, and then you can kind of kind of go forward from there. I mean, these are all things that are open to non-accredited investors at that at that lower level. So you're not seeing massive returns, but you're, and you're most likely investing in a fund unless you're doing ground floor, which is uh, individual loans. So you mentioned a, a couple of platforms there, and we're working on getting somebody from ground floor on the show here uh, here quite soon. Are there like what are some other platforms that you know you've looked into that you know um, I don't know maybe you have a positive opinion of or you have content out there that uh, folks can look up and, and read more about? I would say Fundrise is probably the most popular one. They do uh, a, a lot of advertising, and uh, it's it's the one people I think have heard of the most because they have these sort of e-reads and they're sort of they've got these different funds that you kind of invest in and they're they're following a lot of the trends that we're seeing in investing right now like multifamily uh single family built to rent things like that so they're invested you know in the in the sun belt and things like that and so you're part of a fund which invests in a lot of different projects realty mogul is another one they've got uh they have uh things for accredited investors but also uh they have several funds that uh and they invest in a variety of different projects all, all across the country. A lot, lot of interest in multifamily on those. Okay, okay. So d- it, does it look like the, in general, the deal type, uh, deal asset class availability kind of trends with the general market interest and, and what people are interested in, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think I think so much is going toward multifamily right now and and single family rentals just because there's there's such a housing crunch all over the country and especially in the in the Sun Belt. I mean, we were watching that kind of before before the pandemic and then after the pandemic. My goodness, like all of the numbers from like you know U-Haul does their annual survey and you just see you could you could almost visualize the uh, the moving trucks just leaving California <laughs> and head, heading to Texas and Florida. Well, as long as they're not coming to Virginia, we, we're, we're full. We, you know, we, we're good. We don't need more. So that actually gets into a, you know, a good point that I, I wanted to, to bring up is you know, you've been writing about real estate for, for a while now, right? And, and you've seen changes in the market. We're seeing interest rates going up. You know, potentially, we'll see how long that, that lasts. I'm a little skeptical that that's going to happen. But nonetheless... You know, we do have a housing shortage and all of that. What are your thoughts about the the future of the real estate market generally? You know, I really cannot figure it out. We've got less than a million homes for sale, uh, existing homes for sale, according to NAR. Prices have gone up for 118 months in a row now. So with a median price is like uh, 358,000. Uh, you know, they, they keep saying that we're going to see some price. We're not going to see prices go down this year. I think Lauren Sion at the NAR is predicting around a, a 5% increase, which is low compared to, you know, compared to recent years. So maybe a little price deflation, but we've still got this massive inventory shortage and it just hasn't changed for really, I think about a decade that I've been following inventory being below the like six month sort of average that's supposed to be there. We haven't hit that average in since the great financial crisis. And I don't know, you know, Zillow came out, I think it was last year with an article about the silver tsunami and everybody was going to hit, you know, the, the boomers are going to get old and they're going to sell their houses. It's not happening yet. People are aging in place so far. Is that going to change? Seems like it has to at some point, but so far nothing is making inventory shift. It's very interesting. I mean, we're, you know, we do our real estate investments, of course, but, you know, my fiance and I are at the moment, you know, making offers on houses for ourselves, right? And we're going to sell the place we we currently live in. 
and it's brutal. There's nothing coming on and all of the other offers, you know, we make strong offers, but we're getting just stomped by people, you know, going crazy. It's, it's almost hard to believe that this, this rate of growth is sustainable. I mean, people don't seem to understand the amount of repairs the property is going to need. They're just trying to buy something, you know? Buying sight unseen, contingencies waived, no home inspection. I was like, oh. <laughs> and But it's not a bubble. That's that's the thing that's so different from following the, the great financial crisis is this doesn't feel like that. I mean, of course, the, the loan uh, climate is different now too, but it doesn't, it also doesn't feel like we're going to have that big, uh, you know, that big meltdown like we had previously. I sure hope not. I mean, you know, really the, you mentioned the the loan market being different and and it is, we have more strict uh, underwriting standards now, which is good. And and that gets to really, to my, in my mind, the main cause of the depth and the length of the great recession was it's really the financial markets. It's not because anything had changed about the fundamentals of real estate. It's that money disappeared and people couldn't finance deals. That's really what happened. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the big question is with interest rates going up, that impacts affordability and what people can pay. I would see that as probably the biggest headwind, but but I'm not really sure. Well, I think the Fed is going to be, they're they're going to be tiptoeing into this. I mean, there's interest rates aren't going to pop. The Freddie Mac number came out today. I think it was like 3.55% was pretty much flat from the previous week. I think we're not going to see a dramatic, dramatic uptick, but I think it will be a shock for a lot of people because it's been so low for so long. I mean, the first, the first time I bought something, it was in, you know, I think it was in the sixes or sevens, but I know people who bought in the like eighties and, you know, interest rate was like in 13% or something like that. And that, that was just, that was what you paid. So I think it's gonna be a shock for a lot of people when it starts being over, over 5%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to even imagine that right now with rates being in the the high threes on a, on a 30 year. I mean, just yeah. five going up to six or seven. I mean, that, that is going to change the market, I think pretty heavily. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not, it's not coming anytime soon. Well, I, sh- I sure hope not. I got to get this new place uh, under contract <laughs> first. Awesome. Well, appreciate all the commentary so far. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Deidre, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? I am not ready at all, but I'll try. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Buying a condo when it when I was in my 20s in a little suburb outside of Boston. That that was a good move. Didn't understand a thing about real estate, didn't really know what I was doing, but I I got a great place and I and I loved it. Nice. Well, that that one gets you started too. Once you buy that first one, whether it's a personal property, personal residence or an investment property, that kind of gets your toe in the water, gets you familiar with the process and I think 
in the end of the day, really is going to help get people started in, in real estate is just to make that first first purchase. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Well, we had the best investment. Then we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Oh, it, it's, it's, I really can't, I really am not sure. I know it was a stock. I know it was probably <laughs> something that I thought was really brilliant at the time and ended up not being so brilliant. I think that's, that's one of the things about, about the stock market is uh, one of the things we teach at the Motley Fool is you kind of, you have to have, you have to be invested in enough stocks that when something that you think is a really great idea doesn't pan out, then, you know, that's okay. I mean, one that I invested in last year, a farm that basically avocados and it, it's not doing that well. I, I think it'll get better, but right now it's not my favorite. Mm, interesting. And that was a publicly traded? Publicly traded. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. I, I would expect that to do well, but you know, that's, that's the, uh, uh, temperamental nature of, of stocks. You never, never really know. Exactly. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Don't get scared. I think it is so easy to get scared. I think right now in the stock market, people are getting scared. I think when you people don't buy a house because they're scared, they don't invest in real estate because they're scared. They're they're too busy thinking about what what could go wrong. I think that you can build in the worst case scenario, but you can't live by it. So you build in the worst case scenario, you have your plan B, but but you don't get caught up in that because if you're scared, if you don't ever make a move, you know, you're never going to know what's going to happen. I mean, you you talked about it at the, at the start. If you hadn't started thinking, well, okay, what else could I do? you might still be at a job you hated. <laughs> that's that's very true. That's very true. I was miserable in that job. And if you're afraid of the sky falling, heck, you might end up sitting on cash and gold. And I'm sorry to all the gold bugs out there. Gold <laughs> just does not perform very well in any market. So hate to break it to you. It's not, uh, you know, probably not. Not, the best not even that great a hedge against inflation, it turns out. Unfortunately so. not. Unfor no. But, you know, it is what it is. Well, Deidre, thank you for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to learn more about what you're up to, read any of your writing or anything like that, where can they track you down? Fool.com is a great place to start. I'm also on Twitter. First name at Deidre. At the, you got, you were the, you were, must've been right on it to get that, that handle. I mean, it was a long time ago. Nice. Good for you. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I say this every time and I mean it every time. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>